Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. So welcome to the business community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And it's lovely to be live in the studio. And we're going to be talking about something which isn't so lovely, which is the demise of the high street. Is the high street at a tipping point, as claimed by a Telegraph headline last week? Poundland, House of Fraser, the Chinese buffet in Wrexham. 11,000 jobs currently at risk and Poundland and House Fraser perhaps at opposite ends of the high street scale, but both clearly suffering from what's going on with the high street at the moment. There, um, In the article from The Telegraph, Martin Guerriera, Oh, Ooh, sorry, so easy Guerriere for you to say. Of Cantar Millwood Brown said that traditional retailers were struggling to maintain a meaningful difference to consumers and said that the traditional retail business model needs a wholesale restructure if similar brands are to survive. And as we know, a lot of other brands are suffering as well. And House of Fraser has got a history going back almost 170 years. Poundland less um, long, but actually can trace its way back to 1974 in a market stall in Wakefield. So what's going on, Heather? It's a really tricky one because the high street has been in decline for what seems like forever. And traditionally, you know, we tend to blame online shopping. But... Okay, House of Fraser, I can kind of see where that might be the case. But with Poundland, I really don't understand how online shopping is going to be impacting on that because there's very little stuff that you can actually buy online for a pound and have it delivered. So so something's going wrong somewhere. Uh, And, of course, you know, Poundland, what have we had? Poundland, Pound Stretcher, Home Bargains, um, BM Bargains these cheaper stores so there are more of them so maybe it's something to do with the fact that Poundland haven't adjusted in the way that the others have haven't responded in the way the that others have but either way I mean it, it it's potentially it's looking quite grim yeah, well according to Deloitte who are the administrators for Poundland um, they, they say that Poundland has suffered from high product cost inflation because they they do import most of the things that they sell for one pound, decreasing footfall, weaker consumer confidence and an increasingly competitive discount retail market. So there's just too many shops, Mm -hmm. essentially. It's interesting, though, if you you look into the history um, of of this recent episode with Poundland, you find an article from December 2017 which says that Poundland is under pressure and it's because of a scandal for its South African parent company. And apparently at that point, Poundland said, no, we're fine. So clearly something's gone wrong in between then. So it might not just be the prevailing market conditions. It might actually be something to do with the actual company itself and whether it's um, made some risky decisions at, at a group level. One interesting story that I did come across was um, uh, Mr. Chris Edwards, who was the founder of Pound World in 1974, uh, he has started to look at possibly buying back some of the stores. So it may be that, although it looks likely there will definitely be some closures, uh, it may be that he can um, 
save the business. He was talking to Radio 5 Live. Um, he says that uh, he's sort of renegotiating around the debts that Poundland has and that he should know fairly soon whether it's something that he can sell, whether there's something that he can salvage. Um, he accepts, accepts that footfall has, has slumped and he accepts that they have been financial losses, but he feels emotionally attached to the business because it was it was his thing. So let's hope that something can happen there that um, that helps to turn things around. Now, there's also an article uh, on the BBC by um, Daniel Thomas, and he talks about the six reasons behind the high street crisis. And I thought these were worth mentioning. The first one being squeezed incomes, and that's of the consumers. So um, a big fall in discretionary spending. Now, you'd think that would benefit the discount retailers, yes. but obviously the other um, five reasons, um, plus wages have been rising at a slower pace than inflation, etc., etc. So there's less money to spend. Number two is online shopping, which is the, the one that you mentioned. But this one uh, caught my eye, changing tastes. And I think this is actually something that um, may account for the demise of both Poundland and House of Fraser. Is um, In his list, Daniel says that people aren't attracted to large shops as much as they used to be. And again, that again might account for the mother care and the Maplin issues Mm, as well. mm, What they're looking for is a better shopping experience and are preferring to shop smaller and and local shops as well. Also, um, number four is rising overheads. Um, Obviously, um, commercial rates uh, have gone up. There's been a lot of help with high street stores, but, you know, it's it's still perhaps outweighing the the rise in in other income for them. Too many shops. So according to um, BBC business correspondent John T. Bloom, there are too many retailers with too many stores for the market to feed. And also um, turning it back onto the businesses, they've got too much debt. So it could be a consequence of overexpansion with these businesses. So when you put all of those six things together, it it starts to become a little bit clearer as to why perhaps a a discount retailer, as well as sort of like the mid to higher end of the retail market, are are struggling. One thing I thought was interesting about House of Fraser in particular uh, and Mothercare and Carpet Right, they have chosen to go down the route of something called a CVA, a company voluntary arrangement. And that is where they look at their debt and they renegotiate with their creditors, uh, perhaps to pay off some of that debt, to take some reduction in perhaps rent, a, a reduced rent. So rather than them go bust and disappear and take the debt with them. They look at restructuring the financial arrangements so that they can pay back some of, of the money. And the good thing with that sort of arrangement is they are protected. So then the, the creditors can't come and take them to compulsory yes. administration yep. after yep. that. So that in itself, I think, and, w- and with House of Fraser, you know, House of Fraser aren't looking at closing all of their stores. I think they're looking at closing 30, aren't they? I know that... Um, where are we? Uh, yes, and in fact, um, okay, Wrexham, Chester, Queensferry, and Shrewsbury are at risk, but um, but they're not looking at closing all of their stores, and I think that that's that's a big thing. That's a big thing. Callan FM. Callan FM. Oh my goodness, time flies! It's already time for our news and 
events and I've got three events for you this week. Uh, the first takes place on the 20th of June at the NEC. It's a, it's a full day event and it is the um, Commercial Finance Expo. Uh, it runs from 9.30 to 4.30. It's a free event the free event and it's um, open to anyone with an interest in commercial finance. Uh, so there will be exhibitors and talks. The event is about doing business networking and getting educated. But maybe if you are in need of finding out a bit more about what's out there in terms of commercial finance, that's a good one for you. Moving forward then to Manchester and the 22nd to the 23rd of June, the franchise, the franchise, it's easy for me (laughs) to say, say. (laughs) the franchise show, uh, a really interesting uh, looking event in terms of whether you've got a business that you might be thinking of franchising uh, or whether you're looking for a franchise business opportunity. Uh, A number of seminars Uh, It's a free event. There are seminars around expanding your business through franchising. Uh, Is my business franchisable? The 12 golden rules and five steps to finding your perfect franchise amongst many others. So I think that looks like a really interesting one. And then on the 30th of June to the 1st of July, up in Chester, hosted by University of Chester, uh, 9.30 to 5.30 is Business Startup Weekend. If you are employed and thinking of starting up your own business, this looks like one for you. It's a free event. And again, there's networking opportunities, information, access to lots of resources about making an informed decision about how and where and when to set up your own business. So those are the events from me for this week. What have you got, Tracy? I've got a bit of advance notice for this one. So I've just signed up to go to Smart Factory 2018. It's in November and it's in Liverpool. So from it's at the Liverpool Exhibition Centre from the 14th to the 15th of November. And it's all about industry 4.0. Oh, what's that? Well, it is. Let me just um, go to my notes here. The current trend, the name for the current trend of automation and data exchange in manufacturing technologies. So essentially, if you think about industry one, it was mechanisation, water, power, steam power. And industry two was mass production, assembly line with electricity. Industry three was computers and automation. Industry four, and I don't know why the point zero, but industry four is cyber physical systems. Hence the name of this expo is Smart Factory. And it's the showcase for the fourth industrial revolution, apparently. A revolution in manufacturing agility, innovation and thinking. And it must have been all right for the first two years because this is the third year that it's running. They're expecting around 4,000 visitors with 120 exhibitors and live coverage on the BBC. It comprises six dedicated exhibition zones. So if you're interested in industrial automation, the Internet of Things, digital transformation, smart factories, manufacturing innovation and industrial data, then this is the place for you to go. There are 200 free-to-attend presentations that run at the same time as the exhibition and there are dedicated solution theatres with a learning programme that's open to manufacturers at all stages of their digital journey. The Smart Factory Expo is organised by the Manufacturer magazine 
and you can actually go and take a look at the exhibition and also sign up for news about the expo and also news from the manufacturer magazine at the website which is tmsmartfactoryexpo.com and we'll put a link for that on our website as well but yes industry 4.0 just to give you a little bit more insight because it's it's all over where i'm working at the moment i'm working in manufacturing um some of some of the hours of my week and there are four design principles in industry 4.0 interoperability that's the ability of machines and people to connect and communicate with each other via the internet of things or the internet of people Then there's information transparency, the ability of information systems to create a virtual copy of the physical world. Technical assistance, the ability of assistance systems to support humans by aggregating and visualising information comprehensively to enable them to make informed decisions. And decentralised decisions, the ability of cyber physical systems to make decisions on their own. It's, it's quite big stuff. I will share what I learn, but it probably won't be until the end of November now. Where is it? Is it? It's at the Liverpool Exhibition Centre, oh, really? 14th of 15th to November, and you can register now. Our reviews section this week, we thought we'd focus on all of those emails that still seem to be arriving despite the GDPR um, <laughs> <laughs> changes that came into play. Business magazines and publications that you subscribe to. I I don't know how many you subscribe to, Tracy, but I seem to get loads. I actually went through a period of um, subscribing to some new ones um, within the last few months. Um, I went and and unsubscribed from a load that I didn't feel were relevant to me anymore, where I was with with work, career, interests, everything else, and signed up for a load more new ones. So you're a glutton for punishment. I am, yeah, but... And and occasionally there'll be a gem in there. A lot of the times so they build up and build up and I end up deleting about 40 at a time, which perhaps isn't making the best use of uh, having subscribed to something like that. But there are, there are a few of them where even without the email, when I'm preparing for this show or, or doing some research for college particularly, I know to go to those websites. Mm. So, um, for example, Forbes or Inc or The Entrepreneur, I will actually go to their websites and have a look through their news anyway. So the email is a reminder that they exist sometimes rather than telling me to to actually read the article that they've put in the email. Yeah, I think that's the thing. For me, I think that's similar, that you, you just remember that there is a resource full of back articles uh, blogs, you name it, that that will actually have some relevance on the particular thing that you want to find out about. But I thought it was a good it was a good discussion to have and a good thing for us to have a look at. So I started trawling around, thinking, well, if I were looking for online business m- magazines and publications, where would I even begin? Because if I don't know about them, how you know how am I going to find them? And I came across a blog. Um, on a website called, and I don't know how you might pronounce this, but fundera.com, F-U-N-D-E-R-A.com, or it might be fundera.com. Uh, and there's a blog, and I'll put a link on our on our website, thebusiness.community. And there, there's a big long list of different magazines that you might subscribe to. And a couple that came to the four for me is one that I don't subscribe to currently, but it looks 
really interesting and that's called thedrum.com. So this is a, a global platform. This is not just UK business centric, but it has case studies, it has opinion, it has white papers, it has webinars. So if you are a little bit like me and you're more interested in perhaps the spoken word than the written word sometimes, loads of video, loads of webinars about different subjects. And just yesterday, I just printed from the, their webinar page, um, there was one on why it pays to treat your data with the respect it deserves, how brands can engage with Generation Z and also um, the costs of a broken creative process. So, you know, really wide reaching, really broad. I thought that looked like that, that looked like a good one, um, not just for the webinars, but that was the bit that caught my eye. And then one that I really, really like is Business Matters um, magazine. So it's bmmagazine.co.uk. And they have, uh, so every, every day you go there on the homepage, there's the news. So yesterday's news, for example, there was a story about um, uh, Le Boutin shoes and, you know, the red soles on the shoes. So I thought that was that was just interesting um, and how they've won um, a legal battle over the um, right to use those. Uh, financial regulator publishes new principles for companies after high profile BHS collapse. Uh, 12 million customers from Dixon's Carphone Warehouse have been hacked, sealing details of 5.9 million credit cards. Uh, and then even down to uh, my bank term, down my small business loan, what next? So the whole range, the whole range, technology, finance, how to get funding, opinion and what's topical. So that's that's one that I really like because no matter how much time you've got, there will always be a little bit of something that you can just absorb. And, and it's a good resource to go to if you want to find out more about X, Y or Z. What did you do, Tracy? Well, while we're still, before I, I admit Disclose. to not doing what we'd agreed we would do, um, I just mentioned that one of the emails that does pop through... Uh, which I find quite useful, is from Pocket. So if you recall, we, we've talked about mm. Pocket, uh, the app, uh, a few times. It's a place that I will save things if I think it's interesting. We're going to talk about it on the show. And Pocket will send me regular email updates with things that other people think are interesting, which it thinks I might be interested in as well, based on the things that I've saved to my pocket app so that's really quite useful because um if, if you've saved an article and somebody else has saved it and then they've saved something else pocket will link you up and, and share that with you as well so i find that's really quite useful that's somebody else trawling the internet for you isn't it it is yeah, yeah. yeah so, so i don't have to yeah okay so i yeah i didn't stick to the brief this week i i went off down a rabbit hole as i Occasionally I do. So I, I read an article in The Independent uh, this week on business books by women. So a lady called Jenna Farmer. And I just got stuck into it. And then by the time I'd finished reading the article and then following all the links in it, I didn't have time to research for this part of the show. But I would, I thought I would share with you what I found out Nicely about recovered. This. Thank you. So she, she starts off by saying that women in business, in quotes, is hardly a new term. In fact, you'd think it would be slightly a redundant one. But she says, apart from when you start to look at books, business books, um, there's been lots of strides in the workplace yet a lot of the business titles she says are very male oriented i've not really thought about this before now we have mentioned in the past that looking for business leaders and business gurus and particularly the academic ones it does tend to be white middle class male oriented 
but I hadn't thought about it in terms of books. But what Gemma Farmer has done is she specifically went looking for Goodreads from women authors about business. And she came up with a list. Now, my first reaction was actually how girly the covers and the titles were of these books <laughs> that fell into this classification. And I thought, actually, that's a, that's a gender stereotype in itself is, is to make the book appealing to women as if women needed appealing to specifically in terms of business. But I look at, look beyond that, and there was one book that I was seriously interested in. It's gone on my wish list. I've even listened to a snippet of it on Audible, and I, I've read this, um, the the brief bit on Kindle. I've gone to her websites and looked in further to it. And it's a lady called Emma Gannon, apparently. Um, she's quite famous in the world of blogging and podcasting. Never heard of her before, but she's been around a bit. Uh, she was on... Um, the Simon and Joe show on BBC Radio 2 on the 6th of June and she was talking about her new book which is called The Multi-Hyphen Method and it appeals to all of those out there who juggle multiple jobs and passions. Now you see why I like it, Heather. Yes, it's, it's written about you. <laughs> yeah. And what she does, she explores the rise of the multi-hyphen career women. Those women who wear many hats, who devote evenings and weekends to passion projects and who don't feel the need to leave their paying job, which actually they quite like, to make it big. And she talks about um, in, in the blurb of the book that this is pretty much the opposite of those how to make your first million type book. And she explores the concept of what success could look like, how to navigate that success, discussing flexible working and if it's all, all right to do what you love, even if it doesn't bring in lots of money. And she makes a very uh, interesting statement, uh, which is one that I've so often um struggled with myself is that this causes a problem when people say to you what do you do mm. and mm. she says that in in this situation your identity becomes less about your singular job title and more about who you are what you're interested in what pays the bills and what your hobbies are and all of these things make up your different hyphens you and I think she was talking to me here, are a career chameleon, changing and moulding yourself to different projects. Absolutely fascinating. I've I've looked at various other books along these lines. So um, th there's been ones, What to Do If You Don't Know What You Want to Do, and um, The Renaissance Woman, and more recently, The, the, the Multi-Potentialite. But this is um, a more recent publication, and I think it, it's worth exploring. She's got podcasts on her websites. If you Google Emma Gam Gannon, you can take a look and uh, a listen to her podcasts. And as I say, you can go and listen to the show that she was on, uh, BBC Radio 2 on the iPlayer, and that was from the 6th of June. But yeah, so I'm sorry, Heather, I didn't prep for what we said we were going to prep for. But uh, Well, thank goodness you didn't, because you've unearthed not only a list of female business authors, um, but your your life written by somebody else. <laughs> That's just fantastic. I think it's nice to know that there are other people like me out there. You're listening to The Business Community on Callan FM. And in this part of the show, either me or Heather have... Um, selected a, a guru or a business leader and uh, 
I, I always worry when, when Heather's face looks a little <laughs> apprehensive with the one, oh, Heather, I've got an idea. I've just been to college and we've just been learning about such and such. And I apologise, Heather, this week. I chose a gentleman who didn't like your fire, but we did. We were discussing him at college, and I found I found him vaguely interesting. Maybe not on a personal level, but um, purely because of the change management um, uh, models that he came up with. So, John Paul Cotter, John Cotter, he's a professor at Harvard Business School, a New York Times best-selling author and founder of Cotter International, a management consulting firm based in Seattle. He's a well-known thought leader in the field of business, leadership and change. He's also is authored 20 books, 12 of which have been business bestsellers and two of which are overall New York Times bestsellers. Since his early career, Cotter has received numerous awards for his thought leadership in this field from Harvard Business Review, one of my favourites, Bloomberg Business Week, Thinkers 50, which we have used mm-hmm. as a source mm-hmm. for our gurus over the last few shows, and Global Gurus and many others. And the thing that we were discussing in college was different models for change. Now, Cotter's model was only one of many that we looked at. There are very many. However, I, I wanted to to mention it in the show this week because it's one of the most popular ones that is used by big organisations. And it might be something that you recognise. So his eight-step model for managing change goes something like this. Step one increase urgency step two build a team three get the right vision four communicate the vision for buy-in five empower for action six create short-term wins seven don't let up and eight make it stick now immediately i recognize that from projects that i've been involved in in organizations and thought even if they haven't used that one specifically they've used a model along those lines there are lots and lots of different change models and like i say this one does seem to stand out for some of the larger organizations and i think personally that one of the the biggest strengths is is the first two steps and its weakness is the other last two steps. So the first two steps were increasing urgency and building a team, creating that sense of urgency and getting a team which is, is sort of going to champion this are, are actually really strong ideas in the world of change management. However, at the end, don't let up and make it stick. Sort of, It's begging the question, how? How yeah. can we do that? Now, there are no doubt lots of other models that plug into this as well so as you go along each step maybe there's a model that can help you to make the change stick um and i think one of the things that appeals to people is that it's a checklist it's in order it's given the sense perhaps that change is linear now, I'm, I'm not very good with straight lines. I'm, I'm not a linear sort of girl. <laughs> I, I, I think that change and um, these sorts of processes tend to take place a little bit more haphazardly with a few feed like back loops and a couple of zigzags and you know, squiggles along the way. But I think it can be quite comfortable for people to feel that they've got a checklist to follow. But also, one of the things that I would rail against with my own personality, that is, is it is that it is also a bit mechanistic 
it's assuming that you know people are a bit like machines whereas actually we're, we're more like communities you know the pe- people are involved in this and contrary to industry 4.0 it isn't all about the machines at the moment and that's essentially where I was coming from with John Cotter. Had a look at the website. So um, Cotter International got a really interesting website. It's very fresh, very modern. And uh, it looks like they're recruiting on a permanent basis. So if you're interested in um, becoming a consultant, I, I get the feeling that you can go in there at any time as long as you have the right credentials to be part of their team. What did you find out about him? Oh, sorry. The website for Cotter is at cotterinc.com. The, um, I think the leading change um, model that he uses is very interesting. The bit that resonates the most with me is, is stage six, which is generate short-term wins. Because in my experience, if you're trying to initiate change within an organisation, People resist it because they can't see the point very often. And if you can generate some short-term wins, then people start to see, okay, there is, there's, there's a benefit in this. And I think that's really powerful. Um, he, yes, he's written 20 books, uh, 12 of which are, are business bestsellers. Uh, the one, one that I haven't read, but I, I like the sound of it, is where in 2006 he co-wrote a book called Our Iceberg is Melting. And this reminded me of the burning platform Um, term that is very often used that you know once the flames are licking around your feet that's when you that's when you make change Um, and this basically this uses the the same eight steps but um, it's converted into a a, an allegory about penguins so um, their iceberg is melting and they must make a change in order to survive According to Cotter himself, it's a very quick read. It only takes about 45 minutes. Right, okay. I like things like that. Because I also, in my work then, I can recommend them to people who've got the attention span of a gnat. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there, there's there's something to be learned. So, yeah, he, he, he didn't really float my boat. I'm sure he's a wonderful person. Um, I liked the idea of the um, the website. I think that looked good and had it, it had a nice... Um, ethos to it it felt like it was going to be supportive and interesting and um, it kind of drew me in so I thought that that was there that was, was free resources on there as well yeah. which I took advantage yeah, of yeah. so you can download ebooks from there about change management uh, there's a series of podcasts there's a nice section called research and perspectives which has got uh, new ideas on there and um, the the way that it's designed is that they're asking for your input as well, so that they, these are new ideas that they're developing and they're looking for the community of readers to actually get involved in that as well. It felt like quite a giving website. You know, sometimes you go to a website and if essentially you want the they're saying, pay. yeah, we've got all this stuff and you really need it. Whereas this was, look here, this is what we've got. Use it and let us know what you think about it. Yeah, I, I suspect that they're looking to make their money from consulting for businesses totally. rather than selling e-books. Yeah, yeah on yeah. their website and yeah. that yeah so they they walk the talk and they believe in their their product um i did find a quote that i absolutely love and it resonates massively um from cotter and this is nothing undermines change more than the behavior by important individuals that is inconsistent with the verbal communication how many times within an organization are they not walking the talk uh, that that 
that resonated with me and I just think is brilliant. What did you get, Tracy? Well, again, one of the quotes, it's a, it's a bit long, but it really resonated with me because of a conversation we had on air about Simon Sinek um, and his presentation style. Mm. So one of his absolutely huge um, TED Talks, um, most watched TED Talks there was, was really unpolished. And so this quote from John Cotter sort of underlines the fact that you don't have to aim for perfection in your presentations. So the quote goes like this. We worry about appearing awkward in a presentation, but up to a point, most people seem to feel more comfortable with less than perfect speaking abilities. It makes the speaker more human and more vulnerable, meaning he is less likely to attack our decisions or beliefs. And on that note, that is all we've got time for this week thank you so much for joining us Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show you've been listening to the business community with me tracy jones and me heather noble join us again next week for more news views and reviews from the world of business